Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. All right, well, we are in a series at the moment called Grown Up Prayers, and this is the last one in that series. So it's been four weeks looking at the way we are called to have a mature prayer life as followers of Jesus. That for so many of us in our life, our prayers never grew up. And now that's not, that's not our fault necessarily. But so often the way that we were taught to pray as younger children, if we grew up as faith, if we grew up in the faith, or the way that we see, if you came to faith later in life, the way that you see other people pray sometimes, gives us a really immature picture of what prayer actually is for us, what it means for us to pray between us and God. And I talked about in the first week the idea that when you sit with a master, when you sit with a master of a craft of some type, and you discover, you ask them, what does it mean to be a great basketball player? What does it mean to be a great yachtsman, if anyone's a yacht-er? I don't know. I'm not. What does it mean to be a great gardener or something like that? So often when we sit down and we talk with them, we discover that what it means to be great at a given thing is is a lot different to what we think it means. Because it involves a breadth of skills and understanding of perspective and maturity and nuance and all sorts of things. Remember Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off, was how he taught young Daniel to do karate. So often when we sit at the feet of a master and ask him, what does it mean to be great? It looks a whole lot different to the way we think it does. And that's exactly what happened for the disciples as they sat at the feet of Jesus and he, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay, I will. And over the last three weeks, we've been looking at this, the Lord's prayer, the teaching around the Lord's prayer and what Ultimately, we can learn from it about our relationship with God and what our prayer life actually ought look like. And I did press on us a little bit to begin with, with an interesting reality that most scholars agree on, and that is that the Lord's Prayer, as we prayed it earlier on, instead of being a script for prayer, is a format of prayer. It's a way of praying that helps us get things in order, helps us understand what matters to the heart of God. And Jesus spends in the first, the first part of it, as we discovered in week one, spends more time about how we are meant to pray and the heart behind our prayer than He spends on actually what we say. So, that tells us something about what matters. He even mentions that it doesn't God already knows what you're going to ask for, so you don't need to use verbose language. And that tells us that the prayer is ultimately about relationship. But then, over the last couple of weeks, 
Both Mel and Daryl have explored a couple of the, the finer points that we discover in this teaching around the Lord's Prayer. And that is that, that we are called to pray. We are. And we're called to ask for things. And we've talked about, we've talked about provision. Give us our daily bread. We've talked about protection. De- deliver us from the evil one. And we've also talked about the other P, which is totally lost on me right now. Does anyone remember what it was? Provision, protection, and pardon. Pardon, forgiveness. When we don't forgive others, it's really hard to have our heart in the right place to understand what it means to be forgiven ourselves. And when we do, far out our forgiveness abounds with those around us when we understand how much we have been forgiven. And so for the, for, the, for the remainder of our time together, I wanted to talk really simply and really, well, succinctly about what underpins all of this. The most, one of the, I think the most significant element of all that we have talked about, about what it means to have a mature prayer life. And it's looking at the prayer of a young man, well, I assume he was a young man, but we're not sure, a man. His name was Bartimaeus in Scripture, and, and Chris alluded to the text. We read about him in Luke chapter 18. And when we first read this, it's quite curious because there's a few key things in this that we don't notice unless we look at the broader narrative of Luke as a whole, and even the broader chapter of chapter 18. What's been going on in this chapter as a whole, in all the different events that Luke chose to put together as he recounted, as he systematically researched Jesus' life and then wrote it all down in an orderly account. That's what the Gospel of Luke is. It's an orderly account written by a doctor in the first century. It all comes together to give us a wonderful picture of the truth about the relationship between us and God, but ultimately about what it means to live out a meaningful life of prayer. And so let's read the passage from Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. And as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. He was by the roadside, on the side of the road, begging so he was out of the way of the traffic. Jericho was a wealthy town, and so a beggar could have done, not well, because you can't see and you're a beggar, but it was, it was a, a righteous thing for the Jewish people to give to the poor. It was part of their social security system. They didn't have a government to pay like we do. And so this was a way that he was able to support himself, and Jericho, as a relatively wealthy place, meant that he would have had enough to live on. But he's on the right side of the road, blind. And he heard the crowd going by, and he asked, what was happening? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him, rebuked this man. We read in Mark's account that this man's name was Bartimaeus. It's not rec- his name is not recorded in this, in this one, but Mark found it important to, to say his name. So we call, we'll call him Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he shouts. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. 
But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came that near, when Bartimaeus finally came near to Jesus, in Mark's account we read that he was encouraged, get up, come on, the, the, Jesus is calling you, the rabbi is calling you. And so Bartimaeus throws off his cloak, leaves it on the ground, it would have been his only significant possession, they understand, and comes to Jesus, led the way by those that already knew where Jesus, who Jesus was. When he comes near to Jesus, Jesus asks him what I think is one of the most ridiculous questions in all of the New Testament on on the surface. Jesus says to a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus, can't you see what the problem is? What do you want me to do for you? What what a ridiculous question. What do you think this man is going to say in response? What do you think... Bartimaeus is going to say in response to a question like this. And his response, Bartimaeus, as predicted, is, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. And Jesus says to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately, immediately, He, that is, Bartimaeus, received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. Mark's accounts says he followed him down the road. And when all the people saw it, they also praised God. When all the people saw what had happened, this incredible miracle, they praised God. And what does this scripture have to say to us as a church? as followers of Jesus, around prayer. Well, we see in this passage a conversation. Prayer is that, and nothing more. We see a conversation between a man born blind, crying out to the one that he believes can do something about his ailments. And Jesus responds to him in the moment and gives him that which he asks for and more. But there's some things I think we need to see, which help us understand more of how this fits into our life. Because as far as I'm aware, all of you have sight. Some of you would have less sight than you would like. And some of you, your sight is failing. But we all have sight. And so for for each of us, those that are gathered, as far as I can see, I don't know about online, but we, we don't know what it's like to journey life blind. We don't know if he'd been blind from birth, but I'd suggest that he had been. So we don't know what it was like to journey blind. But this idea of sight is a really significant reality that I think we need to understand. Because I think prayer in our life begins with a transformation of our perspective. Before we ever come before God, there's something about us that needs to understand how things really are. What I find ironic about this passage is that I think Bartimaeus is the only one 
that sees Jesus for who he truly is. Bartimaeus is the only one, I think, that is, well, he's the only one that's mentioned that is blind, but he's the only one that sees Jesus for who he truly is. Because right through Luke's gospel, we read about the mission that Jesus had when he stood up in the synagogue for his first sermon. And he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he says that I have come to restore sight to the blind. I've come to restore sight to the blind. I've come so that people might be able to see those who couldn't see previously. And right the way through Luke's gospel, we see time and time and time again, Jesus trying to teach his disciples who he really is and what he's really here to do. And time and time again, they miss it. They miss him for who he really is, not because Jesus wasn't clear, but because they weren't ready to hear it, to see it, and to understand it. And so, friends, I think a mature prayer life looks a lot more like Bartimaeus than it does like the disciples in this moment. The ones who are journeying along with Jesus, skipping along the road, on their way up to Jerusalem to herald the Messiah and ultimately overthrow Roman occupation of Jerusalem. That's what they were expecting. But instead, Bartimaeus sees Jesus for who he really is. Son of David. The one who was to come. The Messiah. Have mercy on me, he says. And that seems like a strange statement to make. Why is it that this, this man, who's blind, would appeal for mercy? Because mercy is different to grace. Grace, as we would know, grace, if you know, if you've been around the church for a while and heard us preach about this, I think it was 18 months ago, I think, we talked about the miracle of mercy. And we discovered that grace is unmerited favor. Grace is something I give to you that you do not deserve. But mercy, on the other hand, mercy is, we, is me, or God, I'm not God, but me, it's mercy is someone withholding something that is due to you. Mercy is withholding just, we'll call it punishment, whereas grace is imparting unmerited favor. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? But for some reason, this man doesn't ask Jesus for grace. He asks for mercy. Why? Why is it that a blind man would appeal to the Messiah, the one he believes is the Messiah, for mercy rather than grace? Because grace would have been enough to give him favor, an unmerited favor, give him something that he otherwise didn't deserve, his sight. So why is it then that he asks for mercy? Jesus, son of David, please don't give me what I'm due. Have mercy on me. And friends, I think that gives us the second perspective. And to understand this statement, he says it twice, but someone else says it first. And we need to go further back to a parable Jesus teaches earlier in chapter 18. And he contrasts a Pharisee who was self-righteous and a tax collector who saw himself as broken. And Jesus uses this as a teaching against self-righteousness. 
And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like this guy. Thank you that I'm not like other people. Thank you, Lord, that I am not a robber. Thank you that I'm not an evildoer. Thank you that I'm not an adulterer. How good am I? And I'm not even like this tax collector who's come to pray with me. I fast twice a week. See, I've got done enough to earn my salvation. And I even give a tenth of what I've done, which is what the temple asks of me. But, says Jesus, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look. Would not even look up to heaven. And instead, he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. They both prayed, but the heart was different. The attitude was different. Jesus concludes with this, he says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, I think a central part of our calling to pray, a calling of maturity in prayer, is for us to see things as they really are. To see just how much our prayers ought look like Bartimaeus. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me because there's nothing I can do to help myself, but Jesus, you can do it all. You've got what it takes, and I don't. Friends, I think that underpins everything that we will ever come to know, understand, or even practice around prayer. That it is Jesus who made a way. It is Jesus who made it possible. It is Jesus who loved us so much that He stepped towards the cross for our sake, for love. And so Jesus asks this man who can see him exactly as he is, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus' response is, just help me see. I just want to see. And I, th I think Jesus might have been thinking in that moment, you can see better than anyone else here what's really going on. You can see better than anyone. But because you see me, I'll give you what you're asking for. And what you're asking for is a rich and wonderful gift. Because look, look at the text and see what happens. Where does, where does Bartimaeus begin in the story? He's on the roadside. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, as Je enters Jericho, he's on the roadside, an outcast, unclean in some sense, 
He's on the side of the road. And then through an encounter with Jesus, he receives his sight and in a moment goes from being outside the journey. And it says he follows them to Jerusalem. In a moment, this man receives his sight and that gift of sight brings him into the the family, brings him in as a follower of Jesus. And he's able to receive that which was beyond his ability. And I think that's exactly the way it is for us. That before we met Jesus, before we encountered Jesus, we were on the roadside. Blind. Unable to be a part of things. Separated from God. But Jesus came to us when we see him for who he really is and we cry out to him, Jesus, have mercy on me. Please, God, don't give me what I deserve as a sinner. He answers that prayer for us. And from it, we go from being outside, on the roadside, to central in the journey with other believers, with Christ, towards His chosen end. And so I want to ask you a question. Have you ever asked Jesus to help you see? Like Bartimaeus did that day. And if you have, what did he show you? What did he show you? Because so often in our journey, we think we know what we see. But so often we've missed it. Our prejudices, our formation, it's not our fault in many ways. The different things that creep into our culture and into our society tell us who, who can or who can't, who should or who shouldn't, whether we're righteous enough, whether we're not. If we live good enough and get a C-plus average, God will let us into heaven. Whatever it is that you were told or taught or formed in. I'm wondering, what did God show you when you said, God, help me see? Because I think for some of us, the response to help me see is to help me see, Lord, who you really are. But if you're already a follower of Jesus, the help me see is help me see, Jesus, what matters to you. Because if you're not a follower of Jesus, the calling I believe today is, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And I believe you, you might be here today, and it's not by accident, that if you've never seen Jesus for who He really is, the only one that can bring you into relationship with God, the only one that can truly restore your sight. If you've never seen that before, today is a gift and an opportunity for you. You could be joining us online and, and seeing that. The prayer is, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. And that is a gift Jesus will grant every single time.
But for some of us, the I want to see needs to look a whole lot more like what the disciples missed. Because just before this passage, actually happens in this passage and before it, as the disciples are journeying with Jesus, people are bringing babies to Him and they, to place, for Him to place His hands on them and bless them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus told the disciples off and said, no, no, you let the kids come to me. For Truly I tell you, anyone who receives the kingdom like these, unless you do this, you'll never enter the kingdom. And then again, in our passage, as Bartimaeus is crying out for mercy, for Jesus' compassion, for Him to be noticed by the Son of God, The people that are there, what do they say? Shut up. He doesn't have time for you. He doesn't have any interest in you. Be quiet. And I'm grateful that he was not deterred by the short-sightedness of those that were around Jesus at the time. They thought they knew the heart of the Father. And they thought they knew the heart of Christ. But time and again, they missed it. And so I feel like Perhaps there's a prophetic word for us as a church. This is not an accusation. This is an invitation. That for those of us that have been journeying in faith for a while, the calling today is, Jesus, help me see. Help me see your heart for the people around us. Help me see your heart for this town. Help me see your heart for the people that are far from you. Help me see how much you love those people I have already decided are not worthy of coming to you. And in a moment in time, I might suggest there's someone that has come to mind for you who you've already decided Jesus doesn't want to stop and say hi to. I believe the challenge for us today, as we finish this time, of what does it mean to have mature prayers, I believe, underpinning an understanding of who Jesus is and what He has done for us, what He's done for the world, the way His sacrifice held back all that we are due as sinners in the world. Our calling is Jesus, help us see the world the way that you see it. Help us to see the people that you love so that we might better live out the calling you have given us as a church. And I I believe until we get this right, we will never see Gawler transformed with the good news of of Jesus through this church, until we ask God to show us what He really cares about. And I believe He is as we pray that. But we can't stop it. We've got to keep doing it. And I also believe As we call Jesus to show us, help us to see, I believe Jesus will help us see what it takes to not be a barrier to anyone that is seeking to come to the Father. That we as a church can get out of the way and help people come 
to Jesus. And that might be our traditions, that might be our preconceived ideas, that might be our comfort, whatever it is, I don't know. But we ought to, for the sake of our calling before Christ, to pray, Jesus, help me see. Let's pray together, church. Lord, would you help us see? Help us see who you are. And what it means that you would give your life for us. And what it means that there is nothing we can do to earn it. It is all a gift of your grace. Lord, for those of us here today that need to hear that, we might have heard it a thousand times, but it never hit our heart. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the gift that you have given us, a gift of grace, but ultimately a gift of mercy upon our life. And that that gift is the greatest thing we will ever know. And that gift is a gift worth sharing with the world. And so, Lord, for us as followers of Jesus and as a church, we pray you would help us to see your heart for the world. Help us to see your mission for us as a church. Help us to see the people that you love that need to know you and help us to not be a barrier but instead a blessing to those that are seeking to come before you because they want to see perhaps for the first time. So Lord, would you give us grown up prayers. We thank you for this series and for the, the way it has in, called us to reflect on a maturity in who we are and who we see that you are. I pray that you would grow a heart of mature prayers in the life of this church, but indeed maturity in prayer within each of us that we might be transformed with the good news of Jesus a little more every single day until we meet you face to face. Help us to see, Lord.